Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I'm Kim Grounds of Dogman.com with Chris Fatter, Scott Eklund, where Washington held on to a win with a late comeback from Michigan State with a final score of 39 to 28. Announced attendance 68,100 and something. It's cut off on our stat page, but 68,000 plus. Uh, temperature at kickoff was 62 degrees and that was perfect. 62. It got a little windy down on the field. They're saying nine mile an hour winds at kickoff. There were times where that wind, I don't know if you guys could tell up here, but it was really swirling down on the field. But yet you looked at the goalposts and the flags and they weren't swirling. So um, really nice football weather, 62 degrees and, uh, uh, you know, crowd. I think that um, the crowd did a good job of getting here early considering the conditions. Um, it, uh, it took a while for people to get here, and I think people anticipated 405 being closed and uh, as well as Revive I-5 going and I-5 being narrowed down. But, um, for example, I live down by the Seahawks facility. We made a 15-minute stop, and it took me two and a half hours to get here from the Seahawks facility. <laughs> Scott, you texted me early I, yeah, on. Yeah, I left, at, I left my house at 1215. And I was like, I'll just head right over and, and beat all the traffic and get right in and maybe even be able to lay in my car for a little bit, listen to the radio, whatever. And all of a sudden, I, I'm stopped mid-bridge on oh, 520. Yeah. And I stayed in the line all the way up. And then I, so I thought maybe it was backed up trying to get on I-5. And so once I could get up to Montlake, but it was brutal. So I got out of that line and I went up to Roanoke. And then went down. Yeah, I mean, really good crowd it's today. Brutal. It's as loud as I've heard it in Husky Stadium in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I think it was the second quarter sack um, with the three uh, three linemen got him. Uh, the roar of the crowd when that play started and then when that sack happened is as loud as I've ever heard Husky Stadium. Wow. Louder than 
92. It's Tommy Smith in the end zone. Safety. Yeah. That's supposedly the loudest ever recorded moment in but I college football history. I wasn't on the field for that. Um, I was here, but not on. I was way up high for that. But game. I mean, being up in the up 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 high, wouldn't yeah. you've even had a better perspective? No, nah, I mean everything gets pushed down. Yeah, I, everything gets pushed. Down. I don't know yeah. if it was the loudest ever. I, I'm not taking it's away. A, it's as loud, as said. loud. You I, know, so. I would say, I would say it's it was pretty dang loud. It, it was, was it was a good reaction. Yeah, loud is loud, and it was loud. It was really really loud. And it, it was good. There's just so many people, so many um, recruits on the sidelines, and we could talk about that a little bit later. Um, a lot of former players down here. Kaysen Williams, Deontay Cooper spent a lot of time talking to JoJo McIntosh. Uh, Sean O'Laughlin, one of my favorites. Sean O'Laughlin was there. Um, Channing Wiles. Channing Wiles. Is, Sean, is, Sean still, is he still working with the police here? What's that? With the no. UW police? No. He's, he was a long, I don't know if people remember that. He was a long time he's over, member of the police department here at UW. Yeah, he's over at uh, he's over in eastern Washington. He's oh, still okay. in the police. Okay. Uh, Race Porter was here. Um, Cody Chico, Chico McClatcher. Yeah, Chico McClatcher, Cody Connie? Pickett. Tony Tupo. Yeah, I mean, it just went Casey on. Williams. Yeah, yeah Case, and it just went on and on and on. And I did actually confirm with uh, Jen Cohen that yesterday in the production meeting, the pre-production meeting, you know, officials, school officials, and um, coaches always meet with the uh, broadcast team. And uh, Jen Cohen, when they she walked in with Quint, is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Quint. Kessenich and Kessnick. Yeah, Quint. I'll just call him Quint and. Um, I'd call him Jones. something else. Yeah. And Mark Jones. Mark Jones, who were on the broadcast for the famous cupcake on the field game. Mm-hmm. Jen brought him cupcakes. Yeah, hopefully they had a good sense of humor about it. <laughs> yeah. She said all wounds have been healed, but um, also. <laughs> Sure. Also, uh, also, <laughs> I believe that. Also, George Kleofkoff was here, yeah. and uh, the basketball team was here. Keon Menefield, Langston Wilson, um, Noah Williams, Paulo Banchero was on the field for the entire game, dressed in purple and gold, which was yeah. interesting. And also, not to dip too much into the recruiting thing, but it looks like an Caleb Oregon Pre- commit. Yeah, an Oregon commit, Caleb Presley from Rainier Beach, was at the game, and he was wearing a UW shirt. Or UW something. Yeah. He was wearing Washington gear. No, I mean, the atmosphere is something we haven't seen here in a while. Um, you know, the first couple of games this year have been sparsely attended. Uh, last year, you know, with Jimmy, there wasn't a lot of excitement going around the program. The year before that, we had COVID. The year before that was, an, you know, pretty much of a disappointing year with Chris Peterson. So it's been a while since we've seen Husky Stadium with this type of crowd and this type of excitement around it. And they sure started off right because they looked damn near unstoppable again in the first half. Yeah, I, I fully agree. You know, I... You know, they, they really only stopped themselves, and that was on that. I mean, they should have had a touchdown on that first uh, goal line stand. They should have, I thought Talapapo actually got in, but they said he didn't. Um, and uh, and then they got held. But then, of course, and, and this is something maybe we can get into in a little bit, but the sudden change, Chris made the great point about this. They had the sudden change where they get they get stopped on three straight tries inside the one. But then on the very next play force the safety. Yeah. Then they get the kick that goes out of bounds, so they get the ball at the 50, and they go down and score. And that, to me, was kind of the... Th- I mean, I think Michigan State was like, 
what the hell just happened? Well, I think, yeah. you know, just taking a look at the way they started and, you know, they start, they did the same thing with Kent State. They did the same thing with Portland State. And you just wondered if they would be able to keep that up against uh, Michigan State team, who's a lot more talented than either of those. But, I mean, I'm seeing right now as good a quarterback performance that I've seen in a long time at Washington because I always say, you know, if it's third and five, how, few, how comfortable are you with the quarterback throwing the football? Right now, I'm pretty comfortable yeah. with him throwing the football. I am too, and I think a bit as good as Michael Penix is playing, take nothing away from what he's done. He's been outstanding, but you got to give a ton of credit to that offensive line. They are keeping him protected, yeah. and and in the backs and the and the tight ends because they're the ones that are chiefly yeah. responsible well, for protecting. Pe- people him. need to be reminded. Yeah, statistically, Michigan State was the best. Team in college football when it came to sacks. Jacoby Winman was the best in terms of individually getting tackles for loss, getting sacks. They limited Michigan State to no sacks and one tackle for loss for one yard. There were times where it didn't matter if it was Troy Faltanu, it didn't matter if it was Roger Rosengarten. They were handling their business out on the edge. They really made it uh, very, very difficult for Michigan State to do anything other than try to just bring the house sometimes. And then uh, even then, Penix did a really, really good job of, of getting them into some good uh, protections and obviously found his receivers early on. Receivers, yeah. Now, at the end of the game, you could certainly argue that for something that was going on, he wasn't nearly as effective. But for the most part in the entire game, he was fantastic. Scott, when the first two games against um, you know uh, Kent State and Portland State, I, you know receivers seemed like they were just running wild and wide open, and you didn't even though Michigan State's Achilles' heel is that defensive secondary, they're just not that good back there. But I was still shocked how wide open the receivers were again today. Well, and that was I. I don't want to take anything away from the receivers, but those were all schemes. I mean. That one, that fifty-three yarder to Jalen Polk, he, I, there was no one within ten yards of him. Uh, Jack that was what, the real backbreaker. Yeah, in my, in that my was yeah. Because uh, they second were thirty, half, yeah, right? they were yeah. thirty-six. It was thirty-six to fourteen yeah. after that score. Yeah, it so. was. Yeah, it was. It was twenty-nine fourteen, and Michigan State seemed to be getting a little momentum and watched the game came right back. But there, there was a throw to Westover where they sent all the people the other way, and then Westover came across the formation and. I mean, he was wide open. He didn't have anyone within 20 yards of him. I mean, it was crazy to watch how some of these guys were able to get open. And, and I mean, the way uh, Penix was throwing to the back shoulder, there was that one, oh, yeah, that one third down to uh, Jalen Polk on the sidelines where he just... Where they were pinned deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I mean, we haven't seen anything like that. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, Browning, yeah, I, I don't remember... Uh, other than Cody Pickett, I haven't. I can't remember a quarterback throwing it like. Well, Price, Price, Keith Price, yeah, Price, Price did have a probably, moment or two. It was yeah. funny having Robert Griffin the third in the house tonight for ESPN. That, that game, you think yeah. you think of that game that that uh, 2011 uh, Alamo Bowl game with Baylor, where Robert Griffin the third won the Heisman Trophy, and Keith Price was going toe to toe with him yep. all game long, and that was one of the few games where he really just kind of cut it loose. But yeah, generally speaking. Over a series of games where we're starting to really see a pattern emerge, I haven't seen anybody throw like Michael Penix at Washington in many years. Coach DeBoer seems like a guy who's pretty upfront, pretty honest with us. He doesn't, 
I mean, he talks to us. He tells us things, you know, but you take a look at this offense and how fun it looks. And he says, everybody in college, we're just running the same things as everybody else. We're just dressing it up a little bit different. Are you buying that? Yes. I mean, they, they all have the same route trees. They all have the same things that they do. Yeah, Kim, but, if you go, if, seriously, if yeah. you go back to like Jeff Tedford when he was at Cal and now at, at, at Fresno State, his MO offensively is that they will have just a maybe five or ten plays, base plays, but they'll run them out of like 50 different formations yeah. and shifts and movements to really try to confuse people and, many, and give them different looks I mean, every play. Chris and I were making comments. There was times when they were lined up, they saw the formation that uh, what's their uh, Michigan State came out in, yeah. and then the receivers completely flipped sides. Yeah. And where you had a single on the on the left side, now you have trips to the left side and two on the right side. I mean, it was a, like a completely different play. Right. And it was just, we were like, I have never seen this much shifting. Well, plus we talked about how much they used the Wildcat, for instance, mm-hmm. last weekend. And we were wondering, okay, well, does this mean this is going to become a part? They ran the Wildcat at the goal line. But other than that, did they really mm-hmm. run the Wildcat tonight? Nope. I think they did that just for window dressing. I think they did it. A couple times here to try to keep them off balance. But I think generally speaking, I think they put a lot of stuff on tape for Michigan State to defend. And they didn't have any answers. And, and, and we talked to Stephen Brooks, the uh, Spartan tailgate um, writer that was here tonight in Seattle. 247. And for 247. And, and he was talking postgame with Mel Tucker. And Tucker basically intimated that uh, they didn't have any answers defensively, especially in the secondary, early on for what Washington was doing. There were some things where they were maybe targeting a specific defensive player, and they just didn't have any answers. I kind of get the feeling that uh, Washington may have a little bit of a mad scientist up in the booth in uh, Ryan Grubb. Um, you we know, call him a wizard. We, it, talked to him, well, we talked about it in camp. Well, the thing I say mad scientist is because I go back to Norm Chow. You know, when Norm Chow was at BYU and USC, he just sat up in the booth. Nobody in there. He just did his thing, and everybody left him alone. And that's what Ryan Grubb is doing. And I'm seeing some of this stuff down here, and there's a lot of mad science going yeah, on. Yeah, they, they're they're sending guys into they're flooding different different zones and things like that. It's it's been it's been crazy to watch. Well, I was going to say probably Washington fans who are going to look at the whether glass half empty, glass half full. They're going to sit there going, I don't care what the mad scientist does as long as he figures out a play how to score from the two-yard line. Oh, yeah. Because that's that's going to be one of the big talking points going forward, Kim, is that they just they didn't have that answer. And DeBoer was real honest about it. He says, we're not going to gloss over it. We're going to look at the positives right now. We're going to look at the 1-0 and mindset and all the things that we did. But at the same time, that gives us so much to look forward to on tape because they went from week one to week two. They cleaned things up. They went from week two to, to this game. They cleaned some other things up that he felt really strong about, and they're going to have to clean up their short yardage offense, and, and they'll do that against Stanford. How many times is a team stopped twice on goal line stands and they still win a game? Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, there was, it's, it's, see, this drives me crazy. There's so much positive to take from this game, and yeah, they struggled on the goal line stands, and it's not like. Uh, if you think that's going to happen next week where they're going to have two goal ice stands and not score, knowing this staff and knowing the way that they prepare and things, they're going to focus a lot on that this well, week. And Scott hinted at it. One of the real keys early in this game, because people, again, will, will if they're thinking about it, those types of things, they're going to focus on the fourth quarter where, you know, Thorne, I think, threw for almost 200 yards on his own. That said, when they had problems at the goal line early in, game, in the game – 
Guess what happens? So the first goal line stand, they get stuffed. What happens? First play out, safety. Next time they get stuffed to the goal line, next, next series out, Julius Irvin with a pick. Every time that they suffered a little bit of adversity that he's talked about during camps, he goes, hey, look, when we're going up against ourselves, it's all great. You know, we, we, we see things a certain way. We do this. It looks great. We don't know what's going to happen when we get punched in the mouth, when we deal with a little bit of adversity. That was exactly the way that they wanted that team to respond. They created big change plays off of their own well, miscues, yeah. and that's such a huge yeah. thing in this in a game like this. Well, this is a, um, you, you still got a ton of guys here that were on this team last year in the Apple Cup. You know, in that first interception that Sam Hewitt threw, they didn't respond very well. You know, heads, mean, heads go down the whole bit. Yeah, I mean it's I mean the drain swirled and they went down, and I mean just with the way things are going. Today, you know, there was a lot of resiliency after that. But, you know, those some people just always want to focus on what's not instead of what is. But, you know, we'll save that for Misery Monday. But, um, you know, there was just so much good going on. The running backs, just take a look. Well, you talked to DeBoer, Kim. Yeah. One of the big words that he kept using over and over and over is belief. Yeah. They had a belief that even if they weren't able to convert on some things and they had some problems in certain areas... They had the belief that they could get the stops. They had the belief that they could get off the field. They had the belief in Michael Penix that he was going to find the right guy on the third down to, to move the chains and to create those big plays and, and all the things. And the offensive line, he had, they had the trust in Penix to make the right protections and do all the things that they needed to do to make sure they could protect him. We went through a coach who didn't trust his players in Tyrone Willingham. He did not trust his players. And Steve Sarkeesian's first year here, he wanted to put his belief in his players. And that's why, if you remember him, his first year here, how many times did he go for it on fourth down? And it's, he didn't make them all, but he made enough of them to show the players that he believed in them. And when they had the goal line stands down here, they just kept running it because he believed in them. And even though it wasn't successful, I think it really sent a message. Yeah, well, and, you know, uh, can't... Um, well, I think Cleland, it sent a message on yeah. a number of fronts. Cam Cleland yeah. was talking about it on the on the broadcast. I just happened to hear it when, when they were talking about Washington struggling to get in. And he said, say what you want about Michigan State's secondary. Their defensive front seven is very stout. Yeah. And, and they were missing and, a couple players, too. Yeah, and, and they were. And Washington was also missing. I mean, there were at one point, you know, they lost Troy Fautanu. They lost Nate Kleppo, who yep. did not return. Fautanu did return. Yep. Um, but uh, it was, you know, you and I, it was funny. Uh, Fetters and I were up here, and we were like, who's going to, what's going to happen? And I said, well, they might move Luciano over to left guard and put Melee in. And that was exactly what ended up being happening. Yeah. But um, I thought they did okay, but they weren't as effective as when just, Kleppo was in Just real quick, you know, Nate walked off and he was holding his lower back. Yeah. Yeah, they showed, they showed that. You could, you when could he tell. was walking off the field. Yeah, he walked yeah. off the field. He was a little ginger, but I thought it was a good sign that he, that walked, he walked off the yeah. field. And especially, obviously, a good sign that Fautanu did that as well. Um, you know, so they're, you know, they're going to be nicked up. They're going to be dinged up. With the talked post-game, DeBoer did about Asa Turner. Doesn't sound like he's going to be available. No. So and we'll see Perryman and, and Kirkland. They're they're still on their, you know, whatever train about trying to be uh, trying to be there next week. So we'll see. Yeah, Cameron Davis, uh, seventeen carries for sixty nine yards, thirty Wayne, of which came on that last carry that he had. Yeah, Wayne Talapapa, twelve carries for thirty six yards. No carries for Richard Newton or Will Nixon. Yeah, I was surprised by that. A lot of lot of fans on the boards were wondering why Nick, why Rich Newton wasn't doing the short yardage stuff, I, the goal line stuff. I'm, I'm 
I'm thinking that they might have had a plan to get Will Nixon and Richard Newton involved a little bit more, but because of the success they were having through the air, yeah. there was no reason to put them in the game. And by the way, that catch that Talapapa had, it was a great throw, but that catch he had for the touchdown was unbelievable. So, Kim, just a quick sidelight. If, if that's the case and only Talapapa and, and, um, and uh, Camp Davis got carries, are we to automatically assume because of Penix's night – that those are the two guys that they they think most highly of and trust yes. in pass protection. Yes, I think so. Or down on the goal line, ball security. Yeah, because that's a, well, that was Tal a huge. Hoppen did fumble. Not, not yeah. I was gonna say not to yeah, not to rain on. Well, yeah, he I did. Don't, did but they ended up just getting the ball anyway. Okay. So. Yeah. And I don't see everybody, but I don't recall seeing. Um, Richard Newton, did you see him on yes, the sideline? Yes, he, he was, he was there. Up. He was definitely yeah. warming up. And yeah. I actually saw Aaron Dumas. Yeah. Aaron Dumas sighting. But JB on Sunday was not suited. He was not suited. Um, just real quick, too, just going down the stat sheet. Um, Michael Penix, 24 of 40 for 397 yards, four touchdowns. And I think the big number there is, again, another game, no sacks. He's not getting hit. Three um, yards in the fourth quarter. Well, yeah. he did get hit on that one, and they got the 15-yard penalty. And that yeah, was that's, yeah exactly. Yeah, Jalen McMillan. Uh, seven receptions for 94 yards. Uh, Jalen Polk, big game. Six receptions for 153 and a three touchdown. He may be an offensive player of the week candidate yeah. with those kind of numbers. That was the, and, again. And that then, was the first time the Washington receiver has gotten three touchdowns since Dante Pettis was at Oregon State. Oregon State, 2017. 2017. Romu Dunsey, um, three receptions for 48 yards. And just one of the st- stats that they're giving us this year that we haven't gotten in the past is targets. Uh, Jalen Millen, he had seven receptions on 10 targets. Um, uh, Jalen Polk had six receptions on nine targets. And uh, Romu Dunsey had three on seven targets. Uh, Devin Culp was targeted three times. Jack Westover once. Taj Davis, um, one reception with four targets. So it's kind of other some interesting numbers that we don't typically get. And just on the other side of the ball real quick, um, Peyton Thorne was 30 of 42 uh, for 323, three touchdowns and an interception. But 200 yards of that came in I the I was going to say, if you had given me those numbers before the game, I would have thought Washington lost by at least 10. Yeah. And go to the defensive side. Yeah, just real quick also, just you know, credit to Stephen Brooks, because when I asked him who was going to win, he said the uh, team that doesn't get trashed in the air the, or the one that gets trashed the least. Uh, defensive, you know, we don't see the big uh, tackle numbers that we have been used to seeing from, like, Eddie Because of the rotations. Yeah, but Alex Cook uh, had uh, nine tackles. Cameron Cabifoulon. Fabi Kulanen, who started in place of Asa Turner today, uh, had eight tackles. Michelle Powell had eight as well. And then um, they only had two sacks. Cam Bright had a sack, and Voy uh, Tanufi had a big sack. Um, I don't know who they gave ZTF, credit. ZTF was in there, too. Yeah, but he gives the... He just kind of piled on. It was that was a Tanufi. They had five tackles for loss, um, so um, it was and good. And then the interception. Yeah, by Urban. yeah. It was a um, good day for the defense. But um, again, just one more time, just you know, talk about those wide receivers, Jalen Polk with three touchdowns. Yeah, I, I I don't know what else you could say. I mean, he's he's playing really well, and and I think it's starting to. I don't know. Chris and I kind of came up that it looks pretty obvious that Penix feels very comfortable throwing the ball. To Jalen Polk, he I mean, almost did it to a fault because we noted yeah. that coming out of the West End when they were pinned deep, there were a couple targets where it looked like McMillan or one of the other guys was open, and he was trying to fit in uh, past to Polk while he was being bracketed. So yeah, sometimes I think the coaches will probably 
watch the tape and go, Michael, you know, you, you, you spread it. You really there. spread it around a lot, which was fantastic. But I think there were a couple times where you probably relied on the hot hand maybe a little too much. So, you know, I'm sure they'll try, they'll focus on that. We'll get the number a little bit later, but just looking at the participation sheet, you know, and looking at the participants who played in the game today, and then looking at last week's, uh, it looks a little different. They really tightened up the rotation. Well, yeah, I mean, they didn't have any backup quarterbacks in. There were people on the boards, you know, when it was 36 to 14, going, okay, you know, time, time to rest panics. We know he can get hurt, blah, blah, blah. Who's coming in? And I'm like, you guys are high. There's no way. Yeah. And then, of course... Not for anything else, but that's when uh, Michigan State started really going on the rampage and started scoring. So obviously when that happened, they were definitely not going to take Penix out. But even before, when they were up 22 or whatever, I was like, no, 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 no. No way. We didn't see Denzel Boston. I didn't see him out there. Did you guys see him line up at all? No. Don't know. I saw I I saw the other 12. I saw Dunn, uh, Tristan Dunn, but I didn't didn't look for Boston. Yeah. Good good day by the wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely good day. Uh, Um, Romo Dunsey could have had a better day. He he had a few drops. Grubb got him on a screen early in the game where it popped. And if he had actually caught it, Instead of looking, because he was looking down, he might have scored. He could have potentially scored, yeah. Well, on the one touchdown, and uh, they got, I think it was excessive celebration by Nate Kalepo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kalen DeBoer walked out on the field because uh, Nate stood out there for the extra point. Coach DeBoer was waiting for him when he came off the field, and it was kind of like, you know, where Sark would have just, you know, reamed him. It was very young man. We got to have a conversation. Put his yeah. arm around him and talk to him yeah. for a couple well, minutes. It was pretty fun. And then later in the game, the same thing with Boy Tanufi. So, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure Ron McKeefer is going to have fun with those guys tomorrow. Yeah, we'll have to find out if there's uh, if there's consequences. Or of course, there's co- well, no, of course there's got to be. Of course, yeah. there's going to be consequences. Hey, uh, t- just take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the defensive game because I thought the defense was outstanding for you know most of the game. There were some injuries on the defensive side of the ball we could talk about, and then uh, once that game ended, it got a little bit crazy. So all of that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We are back. I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Washington defeats Michigan State 39-28. to Again, attended 68,100 and something. But uh, just a great day at Husky Stadium. Enthused crowd. And um, I thought today's defensive performance, they had some big, big stops, especially in that first half. They did. They did. And, and you know, a couple defensive players made some big hits on the on the. On the kick returns, too. I mean, Carson Bruner's hit on Jarek Broussard. I think they arrested him. Oh, my gosh. That is one of the hardest hits I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. <laughs> was, 
And Devon Banks actually forced a fumble down here when he popped a guy on, on, yeah. on an early kick return. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought the defense came out really fired up, ready to play. They only allowed 40 yards on the ground. And they, they at one point at the start of the fourth quarter, I think they only had like 130 yards passing. Yeah. And he ended up with, like you said, about 200 in that in that when the thing is, they were one-dimensional. Oh, totally. You knew all they were going to do was throw wanted. the ball. Yeah, that's that. But then that's <laughs> what you want, they right? They couldn't stop him. That, I mean, if you talked to Chuck Morrell and you would talk to William Inge, and you would have said by the third quarter these guys have completely stopped running the ball, and you've turned them into a one-dimensional team, they would have taken that ten times out of ten. Granted, Peyton Thorne, he, to, he, to his credit, yeah. he played really, really well. There were a couple passes. Kim, you were showing us some of the the, the picture sequence. Of the one touchdown they had in the to double coverage. And Dom Hampton. To, and yeah, Hampton, Hampton was in it. And, I mean, it was a hell of a catch. And, that, that, guy and that, that? Touchdown, that touchdown throw to Keon Coleman over Cam Bright was a thing of beauty. Yeah, and, so. and, of course, that's a that's a great play call for their offense. They isolated. Because yeah. they isolated the linebacker on a guy that's 6'6", and he's running straight down the field. That, that's that's a that's a mismatch that the guys are going to look at in film and go, well, yeah, we got to clean that up. So, um, But overall, I would say flat out, you know, Washington, let's let's give a lot of credit, first of all, where it really needs to go, and that's the crowd. I don't care if it was only 68000 it wasn't close to sold out or whatever, and the traffic and everything else, the fans showed up tonight, and it really showed up early. They weren't necessarily all there in their seats. You know, I'm sure it wasn't their fault. But when that, when that push came to shove, and you talked about the loudest moment you've heard yeah, on the sack, well, they had, some, they had some false starts before that. They had some clear miscommunications on that one uh, early play where, where, where Thorne turned the wrong way. I have no idea if that was the running back's fault or if that was his fault. But that was that was an early stop that really set the tone for Washington. And and then you get the you get the uh, safety, you get the pick by Julius Irvin late that really sealed the deal in a lot of ways. Um, the defense did come to play. There's no doubt about it. And we know this defense, Kim. We've talked about it all spring and fall. The coaches have. They might give up some big plays in the back end, but they want to create havoc up front, and they really want to create some some issues where the quarterback's going to have to maybe make some dis, some rough decisions. And I think that really played itself out tonight. It, it seemed like they had a lot more pressure on the quarterback than the two sacks that they got, and yeah. it, it just looked like you know every time I'm looking through the lens, I'm seeing Jeremiah Martin, Savelle Smalls, and uh, and uh, ZTF. Uh, oh, Braylon Trice was, was there too. Lot. I mean, yeah. they. I mean, those guys ran a lot. Uh, they did. Going? They did, and they they were they were looping. Um, there were a couple where uh, Zion was he came on a stunt on around the outside, and the court and Thorne saw him coming, so he started coming back inside, and he bailed on the play. Yeah, and he might not have got a sack because, uh, or they didn't get a sack because I think he got plus yardage, like maybe a yard, but he gave up on maybe something that could have been open down the field, but because of the harassment of the front. The defensive front, yeah. they were able to get it. Well, I think that what I'm noticing on that on those fronts, sometimes like if the edges are are stunting or twisting or doing something, the linebackers and and sometimes the defensive linemen are really doing a great job of continuing to contain the pocket. They're not. They did not give Thorne a ton of real big open lanes to run in. Like there was the one fourth down yeah. where they called the quarterback keeper. Phenomenal play on their part. But I was surprised that maybe Washington didn't try to spy them with Hampton or some of those other guys. Uh, but it was a great play call on their part. But generally speaking, any time that maybe one of the edge guys wanted to come inside and crash 
or do some of those things. They had a guy, a linebacker or an end or someone else that was filling the gap so that Thorne, as you mentioned, Scott, in that one example, didn't really have many places that he could have gone. And on top of it, we saw a couple of other wrinkles that we hadn't necessarily seen up to this point, and that was some corner crashes. So uh, Michelle Powell had a couple big he had plays. He had a couple yeah. big plays early at the line of scrimmage where he really cut down the edge and made it really tough on some of their run game. Yeah, uh, Michigan State was missing uh, their top defensive end, and they were also missing their top wide receiver, which I'm sure impacted their offense. But and their the, top returner. Yeah, the the, um, the defensive backfield is obviously something to be concerned with coming up next week. Jordan Perryman was dressed, but he did not play. Uh, Mish Powell uh, looked like he got dinged. Uh, Julius Irvin looked like he got dinged. Uh, Cameron Fabiculan, and of course, starting over Asa Turner. Who didn't, who didn't even suit today. So that defensive backfield, there's some concerns back there. There are. Um, yeah, those, those, those concerns didn't change after tonight. Yeah. No. They got a great win, but there's, so, there's still things that they, so they we, know have to get. We, we right. saw Jordan Perryman warming up. He yeah. was suited up and the Elijah entire Jackson game. And Elijah and, Jackson. Yeah. And, and, and I was watching him, and I'm like, he's moving well. I think he's going to play. I even texted you when I saw that he was warming up and, and all that. And I guess they just didn't feel comfortable. They're going to need it because Stanford's going to throw some big wide receivers at these well, guys. Well, you were talking to DeBoer afterwards. It almost it almost sounded, at least on the audio, he almost sounded kind of apologetic. Like, guys, I know we keep saying that they're ready. Well, he and said this he was thing, worried that he but was jinxing things. Yeah, yeah. so, yes, yeah, it was kind of an interesting well, answer. Part of, part of, you know, the thing with Kalen is he just tells you, you know, and when somebody asked him about Asa Turner, if he'd be ready for next week, I mean, Jimmy would have just said, day-to-day, day-to-day. But he says, yeah, we're probably not going to have him for next week. Yeah. And he's actually telling you. But I was, were you kind of surprised when he yeah. said that? Yeah. Because most coaches wouldn't. They wouldn't say anything. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, like I said, you know, especially in the you know the fourth quarter, Mish Powell was really limping out there. So Well, yeah, I mean, so it was a very physical so game. So was uh, uh, Julius Irvin. Yeah, yeah, it was a very physical game, but I think it was physical on both sides. I don't think Michigan State came I mean, they got a number of guys banged up, too. And they were already banged up to begin with. Uh, Scott, uh, we can talk about recruits later. There was a ton of them here, by the way. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, post game was a little crazy. Um, yeah. You know, I, it just seemed like the fourth quarter drug on and on and on and on. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Because they kept calling timeouts. I'm like, you're down 21. Why are you calling timeouts? The man was going stir crazy. Yeah. And not only that, but they were calling timeouts. Like like Mel Tucker was calling timeouts like six, six minutes, minutes, six and a half minutes I know. left. I'm like, dude, it's going to be forever. Yeah. No, it was... Uh, but... Uh, you know, the crowd had thinned out quite a bit, and then the clock hit zero, and I'm on the field, and all of a sudden it was like, uh-oh, here it comes. Here comes all the students. Here it comes, and the students who, you know, they start school, what, next week? No, 28th. The 28th, but they're moving into frats and sororities yeah. all moved in this weekend. So, um, yeah. but there was a lot of, the student section was wild and crazy, but the storming of the field? I didn't see that coming. Are you saying that we should worry about couches getting burned tonight? No. <laughs> no. Hopefully not. But the, it is a famous win. But the most interesting conversation I had today was George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, was here. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was having a good time. And by the way, just an interesting note, uh, he was telling me that Klyovkov's um, son worked at Mike uh, Hopkins' basketball camp. 
oh. this year. But I went up to Klyovkov and I said, any chance you'll waive the fine? Because they find schools when they storm the yeah. field. And his exact quote was, I will, and he had a big smile on his face and he said, I will neither confirm or deny that. Then he looks at me and he goes, it's not really that bad. And then he kind of laughed and walked off. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to follow up with well, I'll tell you what. Both Washington... Because the last time they stormed the field was Stanford, wasn't it? 2016. That's what yeah. the fans said. I thought it was the, I thought it was 09 USC, but I, I think that's right. I think and, and just real quick, yeah. Jen told me that a booster agreed to pay the fine. Yeah, for that one. I remember yeah. that. But um, the... Um, yeah, I'm sure it will not be the, a problem. Uh, the, the state of Washington schools, the two Pac-12 schools in the state of Washington now have big wins over Big Ten teams. Well, someone I read the stat on Twitter where uh, the four Northwest Pac-12 schools, obviously Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, are 11-1 and one right now, and the, the only, only loss, loss was is to the number one team in the country. Now, that was a pretty horrendous a loss, loss. Yeah. but it is what it is. Yeah, a big win. You know, the fan, I mean, the, the student section in the fourth quarter was going crazy. They didn't leave early, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, well, big well, to be and, and to be fair to the fans, I mean, the fans that got here probably thought that it was going to take just as long to get home. Yeah. So I, I'm sure once they saw 36-14, they've probably felt reasonably sure yeah. that the game was over. And and in all intents and purposes, it was. But credit to credit to Michigan State, they absolutely never gave up, and they fought like they fought like hell to to make it a game, and they definitely made it a game at the end. Scott, tell people some of the recruits that you saw there today. Well, we saw a lot of the commits. Um, I saw Anthony James, Kale Tafai, who we noted had a boot on his foot. Um, I saw Diesel Gordon. I saw David Peavy. Tell people who these are because a lot of people don't know. Well, they're commits. I was talking about the commits. Peavy's not. Peavy is not. He's He and Diesel Gordon were the two that were on official visits today. PB is a linebacker out of uh, the San Diego area. No, am I wrong? I thought I saw Tafai was on the official visit too. Uh, he might be. I didn't think he was. Okay. But I'll, I'd have to ask him. Okay. But, um, you know, there's, you know, and then there was a ton of guys. Landon uh, Hatchet came halfway through the game because he had a game uh, today. Um, I saw uh, Jericho Johnson. He's a big dude. Um, saw him. He's a 2024 kid. Uh, saw um, Jason Brown was here, the running back from O'Day. Um, if that really was uh, Caleb um, Presley. Presley, then that's that's. Uh, I don't know if it's gonna Seems do anything, but, but you might worthy. as well talk to him, see how he's doing. Yeah. Um, but no, I would say there was roughly fifty to sixty guys down there, somewhere in that range. Would yeah. you? There was there was a lot. Oh, Zach Hanning is another commit that was there that yeah. I did because I was know about I was gonna him. say at about the twenty yard line during right before their warm ups, DeBoer had a group of about eight or nine guys. And James and Hanning, Tafai, Diesel Gordon were all in that group. So I assumed that that was the group of the committed players that were here. And so I, I thought that might include the, the local guys like Jacob Lane. I didn't, um, but see, I, I didn't yeah. see Jacob there. I know he was supposed to come, but I didn't see him. Yeah. So. yeah the pregame sidelines was just packed because it's been in a long yeah. time. So it was pretty Busy. packed. So it was tough to kind of kind of locate guys, you know. Paulo Banchero was easy to locate. Yeah, I walked. I walked by him, and I'm like, "Who is that?" And then people were making fun of me because I didn't know. I'm not a basketball guy. I'm sorry. And no, because uh, he played quarterback for O'Day yeah. when he was a freshman. I asked him. I said, "So, at what height did you realize your future was not a quarterback?" And he said, 6'7". 
Yeah. So, but uh, anyways, he's still a good kid. But uh, lots but, of lots of guys here. I'm going to be doing my best to contact them and see how their trips went. Yeah. Can, can, honestly, though, Scott, I want your opinion on what you think a game like this can do for not just not just finishing this class out the right way, mm-hmm. but just nationally how they, the way they've recruited, mm-hmm. gone out of state, gotten a bunch of guys, kids from you know kids from Texas that are here, for instance. What does this do for 2024 and beyond? It, it, okay, so I've always been the big believer. One game does not do a lot of, th- of things for recruiting. One game doesn't. How you build on this and keep your momentum going, that's where we'll see what happens. If they come out and lay an egg next week against Stanford, or they go on the road to UCLA, who almost lost to uh, South Alabama, Kim. Yeah. If if those if they do those things and they lose on the road to UCLA, it's going to take away some of the luster of this win. So it's definitely a big boost. Well, Don't get me wrong, but it's not going to make the difference between Washington getting a kid and not getting a kid. What I think it does is it keeps them. It either the guys who are committed, they're like, this is the play. This is why I committed. Was was this? But also. The kids who maybe 2024, 2025 kids, or even 2023 kids who are still considering where they want to go and sign, this this gives them just a little bit of an oomph to go, ooh, Washington's got something going on. I think if you're a skilled guy, you want you want to play in an offense like oh, this. Oh, absolutely. I don't... What are you thinking Jeremy Bernard is thinking oh, yeah. after seeing what he just saw? <laughs> and, and then in addition, if you're a defensive player, you're looking at opportunities available. Absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, they're telling kids that they need to get bigger, so that helps the defensive line. And they tell, show them, you know, the depth chart on the defensive secondary that, you know, they definitely need some yeah. help. So it's going to be interesting. But they don't have a lot of spots left, and those spots are like gold right now. And yeah. also quickly to add the portal element to this thing, it's not like – there's college kids out there watching this that are going, oh, I don't know, maybe that could be a spot for me. But you just never know. You no. really never, ever know. I mean, how did we honestly think this time last year we'd be talking about a guy like Michael Penix? Mm-hmm. Or we'd talk about a guy like Cam Bright? Uh, or any of the running backs? Um, the remake of this roster is, is so crazy to think about just on its own. That you have to also kind of factor in the portal because I know the coaches are. DeBoer even said it himself. They're going to probably hold a couple of scholarships back just to make sure that they cover their bases on the portal because they may be uh, in a position where they need uh, veterans coming in. You know, I don't think that they do it just for drill. They're going to need guys that can come in and make an impact. And that's what that's. There's going to be those spots too. Final thoughts, Scott Eklund. I don't want to take anything. This is a huge win from Washington. I think Michigan State was overrated. I, I don't Says the guy who had a beating by 10. I, I did. <laughs> I did. But it, it's pretty obvious that they were pretty overrated. And, um, I mean, I, I still think Washington could end up in the top 20. Chris, you think it's more like top 25? Yes, I don't think um, it'll be top 20. So, but, um, you know, getting a win over the 11th or 9th, Ranked team, whichever whichever poll you want to believe, it's huge. It's huge for Washington. It's huge for this program. Gives these guys confidence. I love where this team is headed. Conference play, gotta win games. Yeah. You gotta win games, and starts next week against Stanford. Chris Fetters take yep. the shot. Chris, wait, wait, Chris Fetters take the shots of Scott Eklund. So let's let's put I'm you. Gonna, up. I want to take one you, more. I want to take one more before you take a shot at me. I just want to know: Will you ever spit in the eye of Vegas ever again? <laughs> Oh, sure. All the time. Well, well, 
Will Washington be ranked higher or lower than Oregon come tomorrow morning? I think it'll be lower. 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 Top, tw- I'm top beat, 25. Oregon beat the number 12 team yes, in the country exactly. at home, and they did it more impressively than what Washington did to Michigan State. See Fetters at dogman.com. And it, also, and it also goes to the idea that polls don't really mean anything until halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. But we will still never stop talking about polls yeah. in week three of games because – they're still fun to talk about. But to Scott's point, they're pretty meaningless. Wrap it up, Chris Fetters. I just, I just think that it was a phenomenal win. It was a historic win. Uh, 21 years in the making. Uh, I think the, the running on the field, I mean, a lot of fans, we got feedback saying they didn't like to see that. But it's like, where have you been the last 21 years? They haven't had anything like that. That's In terms of non-conference wins, obviously they've seen it at Stanford. They see it, saw it against USC, so that was good. But I just think that there were so many things that went right tonight that people should really focus on instead of the things that went wrong because the context is important, guys. Let's think about where this team was a year ago. Let's think about the, the, the what, 20-point loss at Michigan where they looked didn't want to look anywhere near competitive. And then before that, obviously, the Montana loss. This is a team who's undergone a culture change that is simply stunning to think about. Just the, the turnaround, the complete 180 of where they were a year ago is, is amazing to me. So I think this is the culmination. Kalen DeBoer talked about it in his postgame. This is something that they can obviously build on because it gives the, the guys in that locker room the belief that what they're doing is working. And as long as they keep believing that, they can keep doing their 1-0 mantra thing because that's, that's clearly what's going to try to keep them in good stead as they start uh, Pac-12 play this next week. Fun. It's been fun. I mean, we haven't had it for a while. We talked a little earlier about that. But, uh, you know, Kalen DeBoer has brought, uh, you know, just a totally new uh, set of dynamics to this football program. And Jen Cohen, I don't think Jen could be any happier uh, when they had the sideline warnings. I kind of, you, you guys saw the sideline yeah. warnings. Saw the one. Yeah, saw the first one. Yeah. yeah, I immediately looked over at Jen Cohen. I said, was that on you? You know, because she was pretty amped up. I, the I was telling Scott that it was like shades of like Kirby Smart. Because they have that specific guy on the sideline with Kirby Smart, and they literally—he's literally pulling, his, pulling back. it back. They used to do that with Nick Holt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, it's, it's just good to see—you know—a big crowd at Husky Stadium, uh, you know, a loud crowd, um, you know, and just having the fun. You know, just this offense is fun to watch. And I don't—you I mean, may not agree with this, but I just remember watching—you know—when we were watching Bellevue football when Butch Goncharoff was at Bellevue. I know where you're going. Yeah. You couldn't it's find the ball. Like, it's nothing like you that. couldn't find the ball. It is for me because I'm down there trying to focus on taking pictures of where the ball is and I couldn't find the damn ball so many times today. It was hard for me to track where the ball was a lot of the time at field level. With you guys it might be a little bit easier because you're up higher but when you're trying to watch it through traffic you can see why this offense gets really confusing. Eye level is a whole different ball game. Yeah, Bell- Bellevue's, Bellevue's offense under Gontroff was like three card. I call it three, three card, card Monty. Monty with a football. This was nothing like that. Well, no, but you couldn't. I'm telling you, from field level, it's tough to see who had the ball. And you take a look. Wayne Talapapa got tackled a couple times, and he did not have the football. So um, they're doing a good job of disguising that. So um, just a good time to be back. You know, just the three uh, home games in a row and another home game before they go on the road. So Four road, four home games before they head on the road, and then they come back again, you know, for another home game. So uh, the schedule's setting up real favorably for them. So yeah, there's no reason why fans shouldn't be coming out to Stanford. No, you know, people can poo-poo Stanford all they want, and USC puts them, and that. 
doesn't matter. These guys play entertaining football. They're playing uh, football that people want to see. You so know you why? You know the ex- you know what the excuse is. It's the seven thirty game. Yes, yeah, I get it. It's the night. It's the night game. Seven thirty game. But four oh five will be open as well as I five. But so yet the seven thirty game against Kent State was better attended than the one o'clock game. Against Portland State. There you go. So uh, just just keep it here at dogman.com. Nobody's going to cover the team better and more in-depth press conference on Monday. Players on Tuesday. All the rest of the coaches on Wednesday. And we will have it covered wall-to-wall. So for all of us at dogman.com, including Josh Wadka, our intern who could not stay tonight because... Is, did he have another party? It's to past his bedtime. No, it's, it's past curfew. his bedtime. Curfew. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll give him a little bit. But uh, anyways, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.